0: Welcome back to the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host. This is Episode 81, and I'm here with Sal Marinello, the star of our show, The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. The ninth installment of it. We had some appropriate music today because we have a a special guest here. Troy Rawlings will be on after your initial part, Sal, the founder of T Raw Holistic Baseball. We had a little holistic baseball, a little holistic music there to start the show. Uh, But welcome back to your show, Sal. Yep,
1: good to be here. Again, it's hard to believe it's a whole week, you know, uh, it just goes by. Time goes by, man.
0: Yeah, and we had a double dose of you today, uh, earlier on our pitching show. You did a wonderful job today. And I know we're developing a great following with with your podcast here, a whole different listenership, um, which is craving really to hear what you have to say each week. So I know uh you and I text a little bit, um well, we text a lot. Uh, prior to the show, but there were some things you wanted to talk about today before we bring on Troy uh, regarding hamstrings.
1: Yeah, this is this is kind of a teaser to stuff we're going to develop uh, over time. And it's just, uh, it's one of these things, Dave, it's beyond simple, but no one wants simple. People want to complexify everything. And, you know, we talked about it, I think, on one of the first podcasts we did with the group about the White Sox had eliminated Sprinting, running hard to first base because too many guys were pulling hamstrings. Which, you know, if if it was for the from the Onion or one of these other humans humor sites like the Babylon Bee, you would think it was a, a spoof, but it was legitimate. And it, it no no um better instance illustrates how lost these people at the top end are are supposed or these people at the top end are. Um, you know, uh, I joked with Kevin for years. We had this phrase, uh, "Amateurs doing a professional's job," and and you know that's even unfair to amateurs because there's plenty of amateurs I know that are more than just uh, competent. So the the spate of not a spate, it's an epidemic of hamstrings we have. It, it's plain and simple. Two there's two prongs to this. Uh, kids don't know how to run, and I'm I'm including pro athletes because at my age a guy who's playing or a woman who's playing pro, uh, pro sports is still a kid to me. Um, they, they were never taught how to run and uh, it gets worse as they go up the, the chain of competition. So, um, you know, we've seen, like I said, organizations eliminate certain activities because they think that's causing the injury when it when in effect. Uh, it's that thing that they're eliminating is the thing that they need. And, there's no better way to build strong hamstrings than to sprint. Yeah. Uh, I, y- you read about squatting and Romanian deadlifts and all these nonsensical, no movement involved, slow speed exercises, activities, movements, in quotes, and yet uh, they're ignoring the thing you need to do, which is actually sprint itself.
0: Yeah, we joke about that with baseball all the time too, right, where we say if you want to get better at throwing, throw you want to get better at hitting, hit. There's no extra exercise that's going to make you better or stronger that works better than the actual movement itself. So what what are – I mean, and and I don't want you to go crazy on this, uh, but why on earth would they make guys stop sprinting? What is their rationale?
1: Here's the logic. Good athletes run fast or good athletes sprint. Sprinting puts an athlete at risk of a hamstring injury. Therefore, good athletes should avoid sprinting. So, Dave, it's the same discussion we had with long toss. Uh, Long toss has been responsible for building more arms, developing more arm strength, probably than you could count. And yet, because we've had the advent of all this other garbage that's been thrown into the mix, it's this garbage that's been thrown into the mix that hasn't been looked at critically. It's the long toss now that's being blamed. It's not the weight room. It's not the bench pressing I see baseball players do. It's not the heavy overhead pressing I see baseball players do and other nonsensical strength in quotes exercises. It's the long toss. It's the same thing here with sprint. Uh, Combined with a lot of kids, a lot of athletes are never taught the proper way to run. So you have this situation where... uh, all these uh, events are are colliding, combining to create this catastrophe.
0: What? And I, you're right. We did talk about this on the very, very first uh, podcast, not, not as in-depth as we're doing right now, but I remember taking notes on it. What is, in terms of body posture uh, movements, and I know we're not a visual show here, but can you give the audience a sense of what the proper way to run is?
1: Well, I mean, it it's a top but before we even get into that detail, we you know, the only way that you get fast is to run fast. There's just no two ways about it. So that's a a very like almost a smart ass answer, but you know, one of the best strength coaches to ever work in our country is a guy by the name of Jim Radcliffe at Oregon who I've had the privilege of, you know, getting to know uh, and seeing him perform and and um, present and understand his philosophy, and that's one of his, his. He starts his his speed workout uh, presentation with "You get fast by running fast." Now, it, there's detail in that with how you sprint, but that's the first step. You know, there's no sport where acceleration in the sprint is not considered a necessary um, a necessary skill or a necessary ability. So that's the first thing. The second thing is running is all about posture. It's a top-down event. Everyone wants to tell you how long your strides should be, and I can't tell you how many practices I've gone to and heard coaches tell kids, you know, stride it out. You know, get those long strides. That's the exact opposite of what you need to do. So we need posture. We need the shoulders involved, That the shoulders involved, and as they drive the hip cycle. So in other words, if your shoulder action is correct, your hip cycle would be correct. And the other thing is these things you are trying to set up the foot in the ground as close to under your hip as possible because that's the best way to propel yourself forward because your foot's on the ground, less time. It has that pop into the ground, which drives the body forward.
0: Yeah, that's what's interesting. I wish we brought that up this morning. That's similar to pitching. When you're propelling yourself forward as well, that that last movement before you take your action towards the plate. Uh, you talked about the shoulder action. I love that point. Uh, I, I recently ran an ultra marathon, 100.3 miles. I had to get that in there, brag about myself a little bit. Um, I was talking to a lot of the guys who run professionally, which I do not. Um, they worked a lot on their shoulders, and they made the same point that you did. And it was, my legs can only move as fast as my arms do. And vice versa, and I thought that was a great point because you always see these runners, and you think little skinny upper bodies, but uh, really strong shoulders, especially to kind of keep that moving for
1: for that long of a race. Well, you need to, you know to get running efficiency, which is the key to pretty much everything. You need to have your entire body working in sync. It's again what we talked about on the other podcast. You know, this is not muscle memory. We're not training muscles. We're training your nervous system. We're training the movements. So this is a, a coherent movement from top to bottom there's no nothing is isolated when you run whether it's a sprint to first base trying to beat out a ground ball or whether you're doing a hundred a crazy person hundred mile marathon like you did not that I'm being judgmental
0: or anything don't think no, i bad. took the i took the craziest positive i took it as positive uh, and,
1: and, and you know what the, the the sprinting should be the means and the goal of any of these quote injury prevention programs in other words We should be able to sprint, sprint properly, uh, and not only will that obviously make us perform better, but it's going to be our prevention strategy because what are we working on? We're trying to sprint, so if we sprint well, chances are we won't have an injury. Now, there's always the weird case of, you know, someone running into you, rolling your ankle. You know, that's the – Dave, we had an injury earlier in the year. I forget who it was. We talked about it. So many of these injuries with the rolled ankle at first base happen because guys don't run right. They, they, they're reaching for the ground in front of them instead of pushing into the ground under them so that when they hit the bag, they're in the right position and they're also faster. You know, the longer stride you have, the longer your foot stays on the ground, the slower you get. The, what happens is your foot actually drags through, some coaches call it a pawing motion where the the foot hits, the you know, the foot hits flat, which is always bad, and it spends longer time on the ground, and it pulls you through. This overstriding is the key to all kinds of injuries, low back, groin, hamstring.
0: How should the foot hit, and do sneakers inhibit that?
1: Well, they do, and which is why I do a lot of barefoot running, because A, I want to see what the foot actually does when the foot hits the ground, and your foot, your heel should not hit the ground at the same time your forefoot hits the ground. It will, your heel will come down, but almost as a follow through to the proper contact you're going to get from your forefoot, the ball of your foot. I don't want to call it your toes because it's not on your toes. It's that from where your arch ends under your big toe and kind of arcs down a little bit to under your pinky toe. Right. And that's the part that should hit the ground. So, I like to get guys and girls in their bare feet, even inside. It doesn't matter where they do it. We have some great real grass here in a couple of the fields. I take some of my athletes to where we could run barefoot without risk of, you know, rocks and stuff hurting them. You could really see how the foot works. And this goes back to my theory we've talked about, my position we've talked about on the other shows that our genera- we have built a generation of athletes with with weak feet. I call them dead feet, that foot that hits flat. They have a weak arch. Um, it's, it's called a long foot versus a short foot. And uh, their toes can't uh, work independently. So there's a whole series of things, I think, that is dysfunction through the foot that cause all these other running problems.
0: I think it's a great point. We, we have a program that we run uh, through our one-on-one, uh, which is our, our uh, nonprofit where we help the kids out. We talked a little bit before the show, but one of them is a, you know, we have teams and we call it fight for your feet because our, our emphasis is no matter what sports you play, basketball, baseball, obviously we're talking running here in particular, you're on your feet a hundred percent of the time where these kids, you know, just say basketball, for instance, they spend hours doing ball handling drills and they may only have the ball in their hand five, 10% of the time, but they're on their feet a hundred percent of their time and they don't know how to use them. Um, so I, lo- I love that point. Uh, I do like the barefoot, too. A lot of the, the, the runners that I spoke with said that they spent a lot of time running barefoot just for the reasons that you said. So it's spot on. I mean, back
1: up. in the old days, I think into the 50s and 60s, there were some barefoot marathoners. I, I think it was – I don't know if it was Ethiopia or if it was a, one of the Norwegian marathoners were were famous for um, barefoot running. I mean – and now, now, the you know, of course – People try to monetize it and you've had these minimalistic shoes and all that. But the bottom line is, I think you need to have a a healthy mix of barefoot work and shoes have to be better. Um, My son plays uh, Division I college lacrosse. Uh, They had a spate of uh, foot injuries and they had, I don't want to say where the shoes came from, but it was all with this shoe that they're wearing. And I think you're seeing a lot of that going misdiagnosed. Um, because the shoes are not helping uh, our situation. Yeah, I
0: use OnCloud. Those are my favorite. Those are new, new Swedish shoes. They, I'm not brave enough or crazy enough to do the barefoot yet, but I do. I do practice barefoot as well. So, but that was that was a great uh, that was that was a great tidbit of information. And, for and the one
1: thing I will leave everybody with: you should look at sprinting as a repair and prepare activity. Uh, I think that's a good way to look at it. And, and that's the kind of thing that the only thing that you can do to your body to prepare it to sprint is to sprint. So, you know, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, uh, you need to accept a certain amount of flaw in these high level activities you're teaching. You can't wait until things are perfect to move on. And that's where the art of being a coach comes in. We have to be able to on the fly and accept some of these uh, flaws and work with them and correct. The big things first, and then the little things follow.
0: No, that's a great point. I love that phrase. I wrote it down. It's going to show up in our show notes. Sprinting is to repair and prepare. Uh, it's an activity to do that. I love that. And I, we've got a special guest on today, too. We'll segue to, to him. Uh, Troy Rawlings is the founder of T-Raw Holistic Baseball. Website for our audience is w It's holistic, W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C, baseball.com. He has a big summit coming up, and Sal Marinello, our, our very own Sal, is going to be a speaker in that uh, summit. Uh, Troy, welcome to the show, and we're glad to have you today.
2: Hi, guys! Thank you very much for having me.
1: Um, yeah, I just want to honor you guys for uh, for all that you guys do incredible work. So, Troy, we, we were talking a little bit offline. Tell us uh, uh, the summit. Obviously, is something we want to talk about. But what's sure. your what's your motivation for this uh, this work that you're putting in and, and your uh, philosophy of what you're trying to accomplish, Well I'm giving you kind of like a free reign here to tell people what it is uh, that you're doing and what about it is important.
2: Sure. Yeah, actually, I want to, um, before I really uh, plug and promote a lot of my stuff, I'd like to to carry on with what you guys were just talking about with the barefoot sprinting stuff. Um, you know, I, I used to be very into um, the the toe shoes, the minimalist shoes, and those are great. But one of the things, and this is this ties into um, the work that we're doing as well with the holistic aspect of it, is there's a there's an energetic connectivity that you that we're missing when we put a rubber sole between our foot and the ground. Right. Or like when we get on sand or we get on grass, or we get on dirt and we're barefoot and we get connected to the earth. There's an electrochemical response. There's an EKG system that allows us to really ground and is very good um, for our system, for mood elevation, for all sorts of, of different things that, you know, I don't mean to get too woo woo on you guys, but it, 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 it all ties in together in terms of how our bodies are designed to move and the way that we're actually designed to be connected to the earth, um, that's really missing. And I think that is another reason, um, outside of the strictly physiological component, um, of why you see people getting injured. Um, one, not sprinting two, you know, doing a lot of the work that we're doing with the shoes that, uh, that we wear these
1: days. And and I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many guys I've taken out and girls who have had an plantar fasciitis or they their feet hurt, their ankles hurt. We go out and we do twenty minutes of what I would call my basic prep work to sprint on grass barefoot and they feel like all those problems go away. So um that's a great point. I'm glad that you reinforce it. Someone else out there recognizes it and now, you know, go ahead. You bet, man. Um I, I agree with you in the sense
2: of a lot of the stuff that we train in baseball, it's like um, I was actually just interviewing someone um, for my summit before who's who's amazing before I came on here. Um, he talks about it. It's like baseball is probably the only sport where we don't train the movement that we do all the time. It's like it, it is the most rotational sport in the world um, in terms of throwing and uh, hitting that... Um, you know, and what, what do we do? We train linear movement patterns and sprinting is fantastic, but we don't train anything rotational. We don't train anything that, that teaches us to move in the ways that we do. We, we rack up heavy squat racks and, and bench press and all of these things. And I'm not, I'm not, so I'm, I'm not a strength coach, so I'm not super anti those things, but, uh, just, that's just because it's not my area of expertise, but looking at it, it's like, man, we don't ever do those
0: types of movements in baseball. So why do we train them all the time? Yeah. Um, choir Troy Chow, Sal just did a segment entitled get out of the weight room so the uh you're, you're hitting a, a really good topic for our audience right now that's beautiful
2: man and I think I think so much of it is we've got to get back to why we started playing this game and that's the the reason behind kind of the holistic baseball is hey let's get back to you know, moving the way our bodies were designed to move. Let's get back to a state of play, a state of fun, like having, like bringing joy back into this game. Take And I'm not, I think the science and the technology and the data and all of it is great um, to, to give us information to work on. Right. But um, I think a lot of it is we can't, we can't throw out Everything the, the in the intuitive side of baseball that so many of the quote unquote old school guys the guys that have been playing the game forever and been around it just inherently know without any form of data right
1: yeah that's what one of the, the the things Kevin always is harping on on one of our our group shows about the nerds the nerds have kind of taken over and there's no, uh, there's no coordination and um, you know, split between old school, if you want to call it that, and this concept of the the analytical.
2: Well, I don't think we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's right. it's it's finding a way that to for the truth to be in the middle, right, and to be able to use. Like, I think the best organizations, player development wise, are are blending, right? Well, let's let's look at the playoffs right now, for example, right? You have a ton of these teams that have won. Like the Dodgers, for example, were very successful throughout the regular season. They use a ton of data, a ton of analytics. You're always seeing iPads in the dugouts and all of these things. And that's great. And it works for the regular season. But, I mean, you can't quantify momentum. You can't quantify, you know, the way that the game is played. And in the playoffs, that really shows
0: up. Troy, I think great points. A little bit about my background. to kind of give you some rationale about this statement. I'm a former professional player. I'm a former college coach, but I also have an advanced degree in analytics. So okay. I'm one of those, I'm one of those unicorns in between. Yeah. To Me, what I always try to explain to people with analytics, it's not a math problem. It's 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 English. It's language. It's a story. It's supposed to start a conversation, mm. not to be an end all be all. What I what I kind of when it becomes that absolute number, it's a weapon of math destruction, is what I phrase it. So. Oh. I, I like both. I, I see value in both, but you hit a good point with analytics with player development. I think that's what it should be about: player development. Right. And you know, here's what we want to accomplish. And uh, you know, baseball guy, how, how do we get this done? How can we get this player to do this uh, to give us a better shot to win? So yeah, there's a marriage. I, I agree. With you. you don't have to throw the out the bathwater.
2: And, and, and totally, because I think you see it on the other end of the spectrum, too, with like, take the Orioles, right? The Orioles for a long time were just so far behind. They refused to use any sort of data or tech or analytics or any of it, and they were getting crushed. And then they added in uh, some components of it into their player development side, and, and they had a pretty good run this year you know so there is certainly a need for it and not being so far behind the times and and refusing to adapt but also you see teams go very far in the other direction and i think really the key is um keeping the human element of it and with professional baseball not just professional but it 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 starts the mantle comes from the top down right it's it's very much like um it's like top down economics you know it's that it's that trickle down effect what happens at the big leagues affects all the way down to the youth leagues and to travel ball and to all of that stuff um and and i really see right now a loss of the the human component the human element of baseball with uh with the addition of a lot of these things
0: yeah the the thinking is being taken away even at the we have i have children that are playing now four, four of them all under the age of 15 and uh we reinforce, my wife and I are both former collegiate professional athletes, we reinforce thinking the game. And I'm watching a lot of these teams with wristbands on, coaches calling out numbers, uh, even pitch calling. I mean, teach a kid how to call a game, let them make mistakes, and then let them grow within that type of stuff. So I, yeah, I think it's great what you're doing with that. You're you're bringing an awareness to something that makes the game very special and life special, and that's the ability to think.
2: And for me, it's it goes even deeper. It goes to feel. You know, it's okay. How can I feel my way through this? Some people, you know, there's psychologists will tell you some people are more think dominant and some people are more feel uh, dominant, but, you know, I'm, I'm much more on that feel category. It's like, Hey, when we bring in all of this tech and we lose, um, there's a lot of feel that's lost that again, I think we need to find a way to marry the two.
0: Great word. I love that. I
1: love it. Well, we were so, talking about that art versus science, and I think that is a great way to discuss that concept and that uh what where we are, we have more science than ever. And I don't know, you know, if we realize we have to pull it back a bit for the uh for the art's sake. So Troy, why don't you get a little bit more into the, the summit itself and uh and what's going on there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sal. So. Um so yeah, so the summit is—it's a twenty-one day summit. We've got um, a bunch of different experts that are on to talk about different ways for parents and players to maximize recruitability, and it's everything from strength coaches to baseball coaches to physical therapists to sports psychologists um, and everything in between on different um, different routines, different skill sets. Really, we wanted to take to take a look at. Hey, what are all the things I can do other than just practicing baseball um, that can really help players and families get um, get to the end goal? Right. Which is maybe not the end goal, but the next step for them is really, um, you know, getting to a place where they can play college baseball, where they can play division one baseball, professional baseball, all of those things. Um, So we brought in a bunch of different experts that all have you know, it's not all the same opinions, right? Like there's a lot of different stuff out there, but people that are like Sal that are very um, high level in their lane that can provide information um, and resources for families that are looking for it, you know, because you go on baseball Twitter nowadays and there's a billion, you know, different ways of going about things. And, you know, how do we figure out where where and what the truth is and what's best for players and families uh, to be able to build off of that?
0: Is, is the audience mostly parents, Troy? Is that the target? Uh, parents and players and
2: coaches and, you know, everybody on. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the parents are the ones that really have a ton of sway. And, and you know, as coaches, we get the kids for at most three hours a day, right? So maybe fifteen, ten 10 to 15 hours a week, unless you're at the Division One level. and And really, at the end of the day, it's the parents that spend the most time with the kids. So we need to educate the parents. Um, so that they're able to kind of be the coach at home.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite phrase. I always tell the parents, we do a lot with all of our programs. Our primary focus is to educate the parents and put them at the center of this so they can help decipher between you know what's good for their kid and what's not. But my favorite phrase to them is, I have your child for eight hours a week. You have them for the other <laughs> 160. So you need to be reinforcing what's being done and really understand what's going on a little bit because they have a great amount of influence as they should. That's great. So that's great. How does, how does somebody sign up for it? You just go to
2: that website. That's holisticbaseball.com, And there's a W in front of holistic. Um, and you just got to put in your name and email and you get free access. It'll be over 10 and a half hours of content. Um, and all the experts have uh, a free gift or something that they're offering as well that they can sign up for.
0: Oh, Sal, what gift are you giving away?
1: You know, I I don't have a lot of content, so I'm still uh, a a lot of gift stuff for content, so I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do there. I'm sorry about that. I'm a little uh lax well, in that area. I think we they said, they said they'd
2: get they they would get a call with Sal so that they can uh they can get a movement uh analysis. Yeah, we were,
1: yeah, we were going to give uh people a chance to have a a consultation and uh we could get them in the right direction and kind of help them figure out how to make use of uh, the resources they might have at their disposal if they're not able to come and see me or deal with me uh, virtually
0: that's a great gift though that's that's a high value um, I mean personal contact I think that's that's better than a t-shirt or a hat I would yep. say yep. Like Thank you. so yeah. what kind of, what kind of people will be there troy what kind of names uh, any names you want to mention um, or
2: yeah we've got uh, we've got Alan Jager on um I just interviewed Eugene Bleeker, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, Jose Rijo Berger, Troy Silva, um, a guy from um, uh, Ireland, Doctor John L. Perry. He's fantastic. Uh, Doctor Tom Hansen, who's a legend in sports sports psychology, um, and a bunch of other different coaches and and people across the country. That's Some great. People. Alan
0: Jenkins, a friend of the show. That's great. He, That's he awesome. Also, you know, he's of the same mindset you are. Yes. Uh,
2: without question we need to train the person not the player
0: yeah I like so what other questions do you have for Troy Troy's been great we're uh well we're gonna... you know
1: what I here's what I, I I'm, I'm always intrigued by the knowledge tree or the coaching lineage however you want to refer to it because uh, you know Troy's a younger guy than us Dave and it always impresses me when a younger guy has a philosophy that seems well thought out and sound and is is not just the same old nonsense that's been regurgitated. And, you know, what I've seen, which disappoints me to no end, is guys that are Troy's age and younger who have the benefit of being at the beginning of this process of exploration. And yet they just blindly follow the stuff that they were taught or that they had from a guy that maybe was their coach that was just going down the list of things that have always been done. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what Troy's um, kind of journey has been like, how he learned this, why he came to these beliefs and and how he views things that in my opinion is in a much more progressive way than the typical person I run across in the field.
2: Well, I'll, I'll say this, man, I've trained at, um, a lot of the top facilities in the country um, and and been around some of the best minds, you know, in college. So I went to the University of Washington um, and my first year there was the current head coach's uh, year there now, but he was the pitching coach at the time. His name is Jason Kelly. Um, And he was um, one of the top or he was, uh, he was what, 2018 was the uh, division one coach of the year, assistant coach of the year. Um, so he left university, Washington was the pitching coach at Arizona state. And then last year was the pitching coach at LSU. And then now he's back at the university of Washington, um, as the head coach, you know, and under him, I mean, I, I basically knew nothing. I was my own, you know, really, really self-taught until I got to college. And, uh, he took me under his wing, taught me everything I know. And I went on to set, um, you know, half the records in program history, uh, was a closer, you know. Tim Lincecum owns a lot of the starting pitcher records, and I own a lot of the relie- reliever records. You know, career ERA, single season ERA, saves, appearances, um, WHIP, that kind of stuff. Um, was an All American, Pac-12 pitcher of the year. Made a run at the Golden Spikes. You know, as a closer. Um, and then from there, uh, I ended up blowing out my UCL at the end of my senior year. And, you know, I was in, in Seattle, um, and actually knew the guys up at driveline very well. And, you know, I'm not here to throw shade. Those guys were very good to me, but, um, I trained there for a little while and, um, you know, took, took, uh, took some of it with a grain of salt and ended up signing and then ended up blowing out again. Um, and then a lot of the stuff that I teach now comes from a gentleman, whose name is Eugene Bleeker, um, I met him after I had retired, um, from professional baseball, um, and with a partially torn UCL, he had me back on the mound, throwing 93, you know, um, with no pain, clean arm patterns, all of the things. And he, he's the owner founder of 108 performance. Uh, he used to be in Southern California, Irvine, Riverside, and, um, uh, is in Knoxville now. Um, So really I've, I've, I've been around the block and tried a lot of the things that, you know, from the old school to the new school to the in between and, and, you know, I take all of it with a grain of salt and, you know, I'm not here to dishonor or disrespect anybody, but, um, you know, just kind of taking, taking what I can from everybody and figuring out what works, what doesn't work. and. And and like you said, finding that marriage between the old school and the new school, uh, the science and the arts, and figuring out um, what the best course of action is
0: yeah. to, really, I, to really help players get better. Yeah, we we've had I mean we've had John for a half hour. We appreciate your time. I just have one one more one more question, um, and it may I may be stealing Sal's question. I don't know, but. Um, What's that underlying motivation? I know you, you had a couple injuries, it sounds like, but what are you trying to accomplish with the summit? And it, I'm, I'm a, this is not a dead end type of you're not a dead end type of person. So I know this is going to be an ongoing journey for you with with holistic baseball. Um, but what's the underlying motivation? What are, you, what are you trying to accomplish with with what you're doing here?
2: Oh, man. Um you know, for me, at the end of the day, um, I'm actually just getting started on a book around identity. Um, for me, it's really getting at the heart of what's going on in baseball right now um, and losing really that human element, you know, guys guys getting caught up in, you know, what their batting average is or maybe not batting average, but now what their exit velo is or their mound velo and, and, you know, really bringing the – a caring – portion back to this game, right? The reason we all we all did it was this was a game that brought us great joy and provided us with an outlet in life. But um speaking to a lot of identity, but you know, really looking after the health and seeking um not just physical healing, but a lot of mental, psychological, and emotional healing um, that's involved with uh the things that we sacrifice in play in this game. You know, that's that's the big the big thing that I'm after is 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 a healing um a, a body, mind, and spirit healing to, to different people in the game of baseball
1: I like it. It's much needed sal you had you had one more you wanted I, to add? I did real quick, and I know we we're, we're over, but it's it's good stuff, uh, you know, I was thinking about how much failure you have to deal with um as an athlete, and then on top of that, as a business owner, you know in over thirty years of doing this, hmm. there's a lot of failure you you encounter and there's a failure you know, in the sports setting and, you know, it's not end of the world, life or death, but failure is failure when you're not successful, when you're a competitive person, that's something, you know, that you have to deal with. And especially when you have an injury that is altering your career and makes you powerless in many ways. I know, I know we can overcome, but Troy, how did you deal with the failure that is inevitable, both in the field and as a, as a, as an athlete?
2: Man, um, that approach is different for me now, um, compared to when I was playing, you know, um, I think a big part of where this whole holistic baseball thing came out of, um, was, was, uh, giving my life to Christ and becoming born again and, and really having a spiritual awakening and revival within me. So I would say a lot of my dependence and, and, you know, the place that I run to when I'm, when I'm failing is to the cross is to God, man. But, um, yeah, that's that's really uh, these days where my help comes from. But baseball is a game of failure. It's a game of man. We can bury our we can bury ourselves, and it's easy to fail when we have another game to play. But man, when we're injured and we're lost and and we lose everything that we perceived uh, to have, who really who really are we at the end of the day? And that's a lot of the identity stuff that I'm um, I'm talking out I'm talking about and pressing into is man who who are we like have we built our entire identity around who i am as a player rather than who i am as a person and what value and worth do i really have um in that
0: that's a great great answer
1: Yeah, that's a great way to finish i was just going to say that's a great way to to wrap up what we've talked about and what we're trying to accomplish
0: troy remind our audience again um you know the name of the event how they can locate it and the dates, you know, when this event happening?
2: Yeah, so uh, the event, you can find it on the landing page, is of holisticbaseball.com. That's again, holistic with a W at the front. Um, you just need to put in a name and email. The, uh, all of it's free access to the interviews. Um, we're just looking to build up as much of an audience as we can and, and provide a ton of free content. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Troy Rawlings. That's Rawlings with like the glove. But with two L's instead of a W, R A L L I N G S, um, and yeah, you can you can keep up with all the stuff that we're doing there.
0: What's the date? When does it start? I know it's a twenty one day summit.
2: Yeah, so it's so we're actually launching next week, so November seventh, um, all the way through. What would that be, the twenty eighth?
0: That's great. And then, of course, Sal's going to be a speaker. Sal, do you have your date yet? When will you be? Sal is speaking on. I got him on
2: November twenty fourth.
0: Okay. Right around yeah. holiday time, that'll be great. And right. Sal, remind our audience where they can find you. And as I, I always like to brag on Sal, so I, I know he won't do it for himself. But great individual uh, consultant with mental and physical performance, uh, one-on-one speaking, you name it. Um, how can how can our audience find you, Sal?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Sal Marinello. I'm at uh, I'm on Instagram at Sal. Uh, I'm sorry, Coach Sal M's Playmakers. Uh, and, um, uh, available. If you could, anyone could email me at any time at coach Sal at protonmail.com.
0: That'd be great. And let's, let's to our international audience out there, let's support this event,
1: uh, to our entire
0: audience. Let's make sure we give Troy the support of our, our network, uh, especially for this very first event, the 21 day summit, Troy, great interview. We're so glad to have you on and, uh, very refreshing your approach to the game and. I think this is going to resonate well with our audience here. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate you.
2: No, thank you guys very much. I'm, I'm very grateful to have been on. And anything you guys need in the future, I'm happy to help support. Same um, here.
0: And um, this is Coach and Kernan, episode 81 on our podcast network, but the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, the ninth rendition of it. Uh, great show, Sal. Uh, great edition with Troy here. And have a great weekend.
2: Thank you, guys. Thanks.